Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrapped SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And hi, I'm Rick. I'm the founder of Leg Up Ventures, which owns and operates software companies that empower underdogs. This week, we're going to talk about how to build remote culture. And specifically, we're going to focus on um, facilitating relationship development between people who work together but who aren't face-to-face. Like a lot of companies, Less Annoying CRM has been forced to go remote recently. We used to have a lot of fun activities and kind of fun ways to build team culture and community. And we're trying to figure out how do we translate that to this new remote world. So Rick and I are going to dive into that. Uh, But first, let's give some updates on what we've been working on. So what's up this week, Rick? Well, I completed phase one of the transition plan for Panda Labs, and uh, that feels good. So I've got one more difficult phase to get through, but once I get through that phase two, um, this should be smooth or or downhill from there. Um, And, and so uh, I'm excited about that. It's also been good because it's, it's leveraging some no no code tools that I'll be leveraging for leg up health. So it's a little bit of practice that I can reapply to leg up health. So we talked about this in a previous episode and you were basically saying you're just transitioning over to a new kind of software platform. Are you, does this include changes related to like taking the community fully remote or is it just about getting the platform migrated? It solves so many problems. Um, First uh, it's a, it, it basically, is a new website, pretty much all new um, branding f- from a public standpoint. So we'll have both a new website and a new community sign-in feature or portal that didn't exist before that will automate several manual processes that we have currently uh, while also um, replacing um, some social media things that we were doing. So basically we'll have a closed online community where people can participate in social media with just the community. Um, and then of course, uh, once, once in-person events come back, it supports that as well. So, um, it's a big deal because it's, you know, it solves two of the most requested features, um, that our members had in our annual survey. And that is one being able to collaborate more easily, uh, between, individual members without having to go through the hosts, the organi- the community organizers, um, which this allows. And then the second is being able to organize in sub community groups. So, you know, if, if you have, maybe there's a group, group of members who are interested in a particular area of healthcare, they can uh, identify each other through this community and then create a, the concept of a group through the community and have private, you know, conversations private to that group um, and events uh, specific to that group uh, that, you know, organized and curated, you know, curated by Pando Labs, but organized by the members. Awesome. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that was, that kept me busy this, this week. Uh, I also had went through the experience of applying for the payroll protection program on behalf of one of my clients. Um, and I could not believe how um, I, I went, I did a couple of applications for different banks just to kind of see, what the experience was going to be like in the difference. I did two. Did you actually submit two or you? No, I submitted okay, one. Because you're only allowed to submit one, right? Yes, I submitted one with the client's bank. Um, but the but I it was so bad 
that I wanted to go see if another, like another bank was as bad as them. And I will call it the banks, um, but well, I'll call it the good bank. I went to Chase just to test. That was an incredible experience, like super easy, super, super easy. Um, the bank that the client's with, it was embarrassing, like misspelled words, poorly worded questions, way too much information being asked for, asking information that they already had on behalf of the client, um, you know, uh, not having a, you know, not knowing that the form was confirmed, submitted and, ha- and like resubmitting it multiple times without realizing it, all, all kinds of terrible things. Now, I am someone who loves to talk trash about bad UX, but in their defense, you know, the government passes a bill and like basically a day later, every bank is expected to have this, you know, loan program in place. You can understand how maybe they didn't have time to really go through and polish the experience. Um, a form a, a form experience is such a basic tool on the internet today. There is no excuse for a company who can afford a, a full-time uh, developer or employee to not be able to put together a form that has no typos, has clearly worded questions, and and you know, you know confirm does the basic things that forms are supposed to do. Yeah, there really I, isn't an excuse. I don't realize. I, I don't know what the bad bank was, and it's professional of you not to call them out. But I my experience with I, I hate the bigger banks for being like evil. But every smaller bank I've ever dealt with, like they're just incapable of doing this type of thing, like no online experience at all, because what they're actually doing is like people are going into their branch and shaking hands and get a loan or whatever, which is not how you and I primarily we interact with banking online and we want it to be automated and stuff. I feel like they're just not set up for that. I agree. Um, I I, I did mine through Bank of America and it's been. So bad in so many different ways. <laughs> oh, really? Well, <laughs> like twice now, I feel like they've been phishing me. Like the the first, you know, you fill out the form and they email you and they're like, click this link and upload all your documents. And the link does not go to bankofamerica.com. It goes to some other website. And it's like, this is phishing, right? And then, <laughs> nope, that's that's actually what they wanted you to do. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So I just, it's one of those moments where it's like, I get the program's bad and I can experience, I, I can, it, it's, it's not bad, but like, it's hard to implement fast, but just like basic, um, internet functionality just being yeah. so messed up. I, I just, it, if I forget how slow some industries move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then there's the, the whole process of actually getting like, forget the UX. There's the process of actually getting the loan. The whole thing has just been a clusterfuck. I'm just everybody. talking about the application here. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I haven't gotten to the next phase. They, they haven't responded to the application yet. So, um, we'll see what happens there. <laughs> yeah. Good uh, luck to all of us, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, and then the other thing I'm doing, um, which is kind of fun is I've, I've gotten to the place with the leg up health platform where I've got the data connected and flowing everywhere. Now it's a question of making the user experience feel good. And it's for, and, and also some limitations on, uh, to make this work with Webflow and, and member stack. Um, I really have one page that I can make private and protected and customized to the user. Um, like that's so a I, limitation of those tools that you only get one page. Uh, the, those tools allow multiple pages to be, um, let's see, uh, used and customized and, and private. But if you want to put like user specific information on a page, you really can only do it with one page. 
as far as I'm as far as I know right now. So you can mm. you basically can have a customized dashboard, but then other protected pages that send information uh, that, that you can have send information and receive information, but it can't be pulled off of that user, that specific user. So the other pages would be like submitting forms or something like mm-hmm. that. Or viewing a marketplace that's the same for everyone, but password protected, um, a profile page, that kind of thing. Gotcha. Okay. Well, the profile page actually would be a form basically. So it falls under the form. So, uh, anyway, um, it's forcing me to use some JavaScript to get creative with showing and hiding things and, you know, not reloading the page. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, uh, it's actually kind of cool as a project to, to work through that, but it's slowing me down a little bit. So I'm revisiting, um, all the CSS work I did, advanced CSS work I did and, uh, JavaScript, intermediate JavaScript stuff I learned last year. And I'm so glad I spent time doing that because it's not like I have to start from scratch. It's really brushing up and, Mm -hmm. you know, actually, actually applying my learnings. So, um, so you're building something like tabs or something like that to kind of view different things on one page tabs, um, you know, toggles, uh, I, you know, potentially even, um, more advanced JavaScript if I can figure it out, but those two, those two functions should give me what I need. Have you looked into um, like using a library for this? Like React? React, I think, would be overkill, but like okay. jQuery, which a lot of people would make fun of for being outdated, but it, it gets the job done just fine. Like they have just a tab library and it's like they, they do all the work. You just include the jQuery JavaScript file and then the tabs just work. That so that gets into more advanced stuff than I think I'll need um, for this project. Webflow uh, builds into the user interface um, basic JavaScript, uh, so it's just a really a question of like doing more than what Webflow is capable of. Um, you know, what do I need? I, I hope hopefully I won't need much, but uh, I'm basically, but I need to understand what Webflow is doing when gotcha. I tell it to do something. So um, I don't think I'll need a library based on my scope currently. But if I if I start using a lot of JavaScript, it sounds like that might make it easier. Yeah, I mean, uh, normally using a library is simpler and involves less code than not using a library because it's like you can either write all the code yourself or you can say, well, someone else wrote all the code. All I have to do is like one line that calls the code. In this case, I think what in this case, I think Webflow is doing a lot of that work for me, and it's going to be me writing a little bit of custom. JavaScript to, to enhance that. Okay, cool. So, um, anyway, that's, that's kind of a fun project and making me appreciate that I spent the time going through that stuff, but you're right. Like you don't really learn this stuff until you have to apply it. So I'm really learning it now. Yeah. It's good to have a little project to hack on, even if it's, it actually kind of sounds like the perfect next step for you. Cause it's not, it's not a huge project, but it actually needs to work in, yep. in the real world. <laughs> yep. 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 And I'll, and I'll be, um, my next phase will be pulling in the API data data. That's the only, I don't have the, uh, the health insurance API hooked up yet, but I'll be working with that via a rest API soon. And I'll be using one of the other tools that I haven't used yet to pull that data in on a, okay, on it a regular basis. It has to be basis. called from the back end. Yes. Well, it has to be called from a tool and then put somewhere. Um, and the back end in this case is Airtable slash Webflow's concept of collections. Yeah. But like there there's the there are permissions issues that like you can't from JavaScript call most APIs. There are exceptions to this, but this is one of those APIs 
you can't call from a client. You have to call from not your back. You don't have a back end, but Airtable's back end or this other yeah. service's back end. Yeah. What I'll do is I'll call it from a third party, most likely Integramat or whatever, Integramat or however you say that. Um, and then uh, have that be the parser and then have that pop, you know, update a Airtable with the output. Cool. I'm going to look that up because I, we, we try to integrate with APIs all the time and like, it's such a pain to code the whole thing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The other one um, that's kind of cool is Parabola or Parabola. I'm not sure exactly how to say that, but it seems to do more than what I need it to do. Gotcha. Cool. Um, and then I, I was, you've mentioned via Slack briefly that MicroConf may have been rescheduled. Yeah. I feel like you should have gotten an email about this. You might check your spam folder or something. I did. Yeah, but I haven't gotten anything. Hmm. Well, yeah, got rescheduled. It's in November now. Um, the email basically says they're uh, going to transfer your ticket automatically. But if you want a refund, you can get one. What are you thinking? Of, uh, are you going to stick around and go November? I don't. I mean, I want to go to my. This would have been both of our first microconf. I was really excited about it. So this isn't at all like negative towards microconf, but I am like maybe negative on the whole idea of a conference until like there is, you know, major mitigation in place about this pandemic going on. And I know a lot of people think November, it'll definitely be over, but I'm not, I think it'll like life will not be like it is now in November. I don't think we'll all be totally locked in our apartments, but is going to a thousand person, a thousand people crowding into one room. Is that really a smart thing to do until there's a vaccine? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, well, um, I haven't really thought about it much. Yeah, it does seem a little early to be able to commit to a 2020 event in-person con- or in-person conference. And and so, yeah, I guess I kind of feel the same way you do. It's like, well, it's, if I have to choose right now, then I pick the refund. Yeah. And I think they said you have until April, the like late April. So you don't have to choose right this second, but I can't imagine we're going to know by then what the situation is. So I think I'm probably going to just ask for a refund. Well, let's talk about it more offline. I, I would, I was really looking forward to it and it was part of a a larger plan for me to get out in person at in-person events more Mm -hmm. um, around the country. And so anyway, uh, if you, if you have any sort of like change of heart between now and April, let me know. Yeah. I certainly haven't decided just, uh, like I, my, I rescheduled my wedding for May 2021. I'll be sending an email at, about that. But like even that, I'm kind of like it's a full year from when it was gonna be. I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure it's happening then. Even we just we couldn't go any. The, the venue only let us go a year out, so we couldn't go any further than that. The only thing I know is that no one knows. Right. Yeah. So to say, oh, it's rescheduled for this day. It's kind of like, well, okay, <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> anyway. Cool. Um, so yeah, speaking of all the, the coronavirus stuff, I, this week I finally got like a mask to wear in public and I'm curious, have you, have you done that? Yes, I do. My, my, uh, father-in-law is a painter and uh, he Mm. has tons of, uh, I shouldn't say tons, but a supply, uh, dude for his business of in 95, is that what it's called? Mass. Mm -hmm. And so I have one of those. Gotcha. Um, yeah, it's I, not, I don't have it's anything. It's not the most attractive fancy, thing. But... Yeah. It's not the most attractive thing. I want one of those cloth ones that are cool. 
Yeah, well, the cloth ones are significantly less effective, I think. But I guess the idea is the N95 should be at hospitals and you and I should be wearing like mine's a bandana that my mom sewed into a mask. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's part of the challenge, right? It's like I don't feel one reason I don't wear the N95 out. I have it just in case we have two of them um, is like I don't feel like it's right to wear it unless I absolutely need it. I don't know. I, I mean, I think if you have one whatever if if your uh, relative you said has like a stockpile of h- hundreds of these like those should probably get donated but i, oh, I don't know i don't know masks. that he has hundreds i think he has enough to like for his workers um and you know to for the jobs that they have to do because they have to go into people's house they're still working painters are still working a lot of construction people are still working um and uh going into people's houses and that sort of stuff gotcha yeah, but um, one thing I, I will mention on for, well, it for people who haven't started wearing them yet, it feels kind of stupid, I think, and like embarrassing. And I felt I don't know if you felt that way. I definitely felt that way. But like, I do think it's important we all get over it and start wearing them. But I, uh, a friend of someone I work with, was laid off, and she's a seamstress. And so I don't know how to make these things, but I found a nice solution: is pay someone who got laid off to make them, and then kind of. You get your masks. They have a little bit of income during this time. That's a nice kind of win-win if if you don't have a mask and you need one. Yeah. Do you, um do you really th- I, you know it feels like we're are you optimistic that I'm wondering what you're predicting will happen while we're on the t- subject. If you had to pick a date right now that you felt you would you would take a bet with me on, like what what's the um what's the date? What's the earliest you think that we go back to normal? And normal being, I guess normal is not the right question. When we, when we are uh, unlocked, uh, not in quarantine anymore. Yeah, like you said earlier, nobody knows. But I think probably my guess is it's not that long before some level of kind of not being as strict about stuff. And by not that long, I think I'd say a month and a half from now. And I think it depends city by city. Like cities that got hit earlier are maybe only a few weeks away, but St. Louis, I know, is predicted to peak um, in terms of number of cases in about two to three weeks. Um, so let's say it's another three weeks after that. I I bet there will come a point where it's like, you know, you still maybe don't go to bars and stuff like that, but you're not like they'll reopen the parks, you know, stuff like that. That's my guess. I think though, until there's a vaccine. People are going to be wearing masks outside. Like in Asian countries, they were already doing this from, you know, the last like swine flu or what, whatever the kind of last ones were that didn't really make it to the U.S. in such a big way. I think we'll probably be like that until we have total herd immunity to this. What do you think? Yeah, I'm thinking July. I think that we have another quarter of this, but then economic interests will prevail. Uh, and, you know, I don't I just don't think I, maybe it's right to wear a mask. Maybe it's not. There's two sort of opinions out there. I'm not going to share mine. Um, but I do. I, I just don't think most people are going to wear masks because there's just people who don't think they should. And so I don't know. I feel like July 1st, people are going to be back at work and slowly it's going to, you know, no one's going to be wearing masks. It's definitely a cultural thing. That's one of the reasons I wanted to wear one is I think the more people that wear them, the more normal it'll seem but uh yeah i i, I believe I, I think you're right but i also think different people react differently less annoying crm is going to be on the conservative end of this because i'm just like i see no upside to pushing this earlier it's not 
our business is impacted by this because our customers are canceling, but being at the office doesn't help our business any. There's no reason to to push that. And so I bet like some people will be more motivated to push the boundaries and some some people will stay back a little more. Yep. Yeah, I agree a lot of people are going to be stubborn about masks and other stuff. Yep. Yep. Um as far as kind of work stuff goes, I uh started working on a my first big design project in a while. Like whenever there's a big programming project coming up, there's kind of a big process of designing it first. And the last one of these I did was custom fields, which uh, I think I designed, you know, two years ago, and then it got implemented over the last year. Uh, this is this next one coming up is invoicing. So we've talked about this on the podcast before that um, letting our customers send invoices to their customers. And it's uh, I, I kind of am out of shape. Like anytime you design something that's big, there's this feeling, this just crushing feeling of like, there's so many things and well, what if this happens? And what about that? And what if there's multiple users? Like, which defaults do you use? And what are permissions going to work? And, uh, you know, anyone who's designed stuff, even not like from a visual design standpoint, but like you design products from a kind of more of a strategic standpoint, you you know, like, I just have to push my way through this and eventually there, I'll have clarity on all of this, but it is definitely uh, kind of a an overwhelming thing to jump in at the beginning. So I'm kind of in that phase of the invoicing project right now. You're constantly writing stuff down and then realizing, oops, and then separating it into different piles and then figuring Mm -hmm. out where the piles are, thinking you have the right piles and then realizing you have the wrong piles and then kind of shuffling it back together. I think, and I think the most to me, the most overwhelming feeling is when you think about what you actually want, you're like, wow, there's a lot more to this than I thought. And it's going to take two years to build this and we don't have two years and what always ends up happening is you you identify i we really only need this little sliver and that'll be good enough for the first version of it but i don't know what that sliver is yet so it's still in my head like oh my god this is going to be massive yeah the 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 imagery that comes to my head is you're working on a massive puzzle and you're trying to find all the edge pieces Mm, yeah that's a good analogy for it right and i don't have them yet (laughs) (laughs) Um, so anyway, that it's fun though. This is one of my favorite types of things to work on. I just haven't done it in a while. Um, and then the final thing before we dive into the the deep dive topic here is, and this is actually related to what we're going to talk about as the topic. I started working on kind of a remote collaboration document. Um, we have a lot of institutional knowledge at Lesson Learning CRM and the way, so we have a bunch of interns starting in, um, a little over a month. Normally some of it, they learn by like we just kind of sit in a meeting with them and tell them how things work and a lot of it they get by just observing people working and they're like oh you know in the weekly meeting here here's what people are doing since it's going to be remote this summer they're not going to be able to like absorb that just through being near us and so i'm trying to write a lot more stuff down so that we can say here's an actual guide on how this works so i wrote a guide that's like Here's when you use email. Here's when you use Slack. Here's when to set up a meeting. If you set up a meeting, here's how to kind of run that. Um, it's sort of related to how to do it remotely, but honestly, I think even in person, we we never really had it documented like w- how you're supposed to collaborate on stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think I'll have I, I've got it done more or less. But I think after we talk about the real topic here, I might go back and change a bunch of stuff about it potentially. Cool. So, I'm, I'm 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 interested in this topic. Uh, for a couple of reasons. I, I, one, um, I haven't spent a ton of time. I, I think leg up health will likely be remote first and I haven't spent a ton of time diving into what that means, uh, for me and as a leader, uh, and culture and 
responsibilities, that sort of thing. So uh, I am interested from that perspective, but I'm also like, I have a, I kind of feel like you're way better at this already than most companies because of the way you are about how you run less annoying CRM, even though you were co-located. So um, I'm interested to see if like the, the conclusion of this is basically just maybe round out some documentation and keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, it could be. I I think there's got to be something better than that, but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. So I, I guess let me let me intro what the the real topic is here. I I, I like your optimism there, but we'll see. Um, so the topic here is how, like how to build a remote culture, and the context around this is less annoying CRM is normally in person, co located, but um, one day a week everybody gets to work from home. It's a di- everybody gets to pick which day it is. So it's not you know at any given day. Some people are in the office and some people are remote. Because of this, transferring to fully remote has been really pretty easy from a productivity standpoint. Everybody's already had, uh, they had their workstation at home. All of our meetings were set up so that if some people were remote, like we always had a video chat set up. We weren't like totally unprepared for remote work. The thing that we were totally unprepared for is all of our cultural events at the company were assuming in person. Like if you're working from home one day and we're doing a happy hour that day, we were just like, well, come in if you want to come in or don't. We're not like setting up a video chat at the bar so that people can remote into the happy hour or whatever. And that's the thing that I think has been suffering in this new world where everyone's fully remote is like we all know each other and we get along. So we, we've kind of been coasting on the momentum we had built up before. But if, if it's going to be like this for a year or something like that, I hope it's not. But if we're going to be remote for a really long time, I think we have to totally recon- reconsider how culture works. How do people connect with each other? And especially thinking about new people coming in, I, I don't want to focus on the interns, but like if we hired someone right now and they didn't already know everyone and have trust built up and like there are some people at the company, one person in particular who's really, really snarky in Slack, like bordering on mean, but everyone knows her and is like, oh, you know, she it's friendly because I know her. But if you'd never met her before, you might be like, holy shit, she's, she's really a bully in Slack. You know, that's the type of thing where I'm like, if we don't do something to create those those interpersonal connections at the company remotely, we're going to have a culture problem come this summer. So uh, to be clear, it sounds like you don't have a problem right now. You're anticipating a problem as you add additional employees. Yes. And I think even if we didn't add additional employees, I think like the good situation we're in now slowly deteriorates over time if we don't like refresh it with... like. There's a lot of stuff we used to be doing that we just stopped doing. We don't we're not doing virtual versions of happy hours or like once a week we would have company lunch. We're not doing any of those. We just totally stopped. And I think if we even if we were still in person, if we just stopped all of those, eventually culture deteriorates, I think. Why do you think that? Well, for the same reason that they ever served a purpose in the first place, which is like this is when you're working with someone, yeah, it's about productivity and being good at your job and stuff like that. But it's also about knowing them, building trust, liking them, feeling like we're all on the same team. And if you don't refresh that stuff, it's like if you're in a romantic relationship and you never go on a date with the other person, eventually, you know, some of the spark might fade, you know? So it sounds like you're worried about people continuing to see each other as people um, versus functional workers. 
Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And especially a lot of people don't work with other people. Like it's a 17 person company. Everyone knows each other. But like depending on what projects you're working on, one person A may potentially never cross paths with person B in a work setting. And at that point, it's like, are they even really coworkers at that point? Cool, cool. And I just want to be clear, like I was, I did a little bit of prep work for this. And when you say culture, what do you mean? That's a good question. I, uh, that's a very good point. Probably I mean for this topic, I mean less than what the full, the, the word culture means a bigger thing than what I'm talking about here. Um, culture, I think normally in a business setting would be what are we about? What are our values? That type of thing. What I'm really talking about here, and feel free to propose a better word if there's something more specific, is um, building relationships, build, building relationships not strictly about work within the company. So we have meetings about like, oh, here's a project we're all working on and anyone related to that project is in a meeting. We, we're doing that and those are working fine. But the other types of interpersonal interactions that you're supposed to have in order to build friendship and trust and relationships, that's what I'm talking about here. Got it. It's really, so at the end of the day, probably the outcome you want is interpersonal trust to mm-hmm. main, to continue and to continue to grow. Um, but you also, but then the way you do that is by helping each other, helping uh, team members get to know each other on a personal level. Yeah. Yeah. I guess building personal relationships remotely is maybe yeah. Yeah, a, like that. a more specific version of this. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, what other context do you have? Um, I, I I, in our meeting notes before this, I shared with you kind of all the things we're doing right now. It's probably not worth me going through the whole list, but some of the things is like, I'm interested in a talking about, can we just replace? So, so a lazy way to look at this is how do we replace the things we were doing? There's a couple of problems with that. One is it assumes that what we were doing was already optimal, which maybe it wasn't. And two, it assumes that the best remote version of something is just like an analog for the in-person version. And it's possible that there's this whole like, there's just a totally different way to do things remotely. Like it's a whole different paradigm. So I guess I'll say at worst, I'd like to come up with how do we translate our previous stuff to remote, but maybe at best we can say there's a whole different way. If you're like for your business, you shouldn't be trying to simulate in-person stuff remotely. No. Um, well, maybe I should, uh, if that's the right way to do it. So I guess, um, I think it would be helpful for you to go through what you were doing. Um, and you know, I think that now that we have a more narrow topic around, uh, trying to help, trying to curate personal relationships, I don't know what the right word is, um, facilitate personal Mm -hmm. relationships between coworkers. I, I guess what, what were you doing before and what things are you keeping and still doing and what things are are gone? Sure. Yeah. So I'll just run through this list real quick. I think the most important thing we used to do was company lunch, which was once a week, uh, every Thursday, we'd get lunch catered. Everyone would sit around. People would eat lunch together other days, but people were eating at different times and like some people didn't participate. And this was the day where everyone at the company sat down and very rarely did we talk about work. It was all just getting to know other people and um, when we we kind of have like a internal company yearbooks the wrong word, but like a Facebook sort of that's when new people start we're like here's a profile on each person and we ask what's what's your favorite thing and a lot of people say the thing they really like about working here is that one hour a week where you just kind of hang out with everybody. Um, 
So that's one thing we were doing. We'd have periodic events after work that also really important, but like not everyone attended. That the thing that's was so great about company lunch is everyone was there. Whereas if we did a happy hour or a board game night, it'd be like five or six or ten people, but it's normally the same ten people, honestly. So it's not like like there's some people that just never participate in that. Um and then like kind of bigger events. We do parties or like maybe once every two to three months, something that really mixes stuff up. We go out and do some kind of organized event or something like that. But if it's not at work, again, everybody's not normally going to be there. Um, and then also celebrating things, celebrating birthdays and work anniversaries and stuff like that. Not big celebrations, but just like people would sign a card and, you know, we'd get a little gift bag or something for people whose birthday it was, that type of thing. Um, does that sound like the right level of detail about what we've been doing? Yeah. The other one I want to just make sure that we're mentioning and, and recognizing that is a benefit of co-location is the random encounters. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We don't do anything to plan or facilitate this, but when you're, you know, one person's heating something up in the microwave and another person's chopping up the veggies for their lunch at the kitchen counter. And it's like for two minutes, they're just chatting. Um, or, you know, multiply that out in, in a number of different permutations, but like, it's hard to be in a confined space with someone all like 40 hours a week and not sort of get to know them just naturally. Yep. Totally makes sense. Well, what have you instituted so far? So, um, I, this isn't necessarily me being the one that instituted it. One thing I want to, uh, give the team credit for is other people have really stepped in and, um, kind of made, come up with some, some of these on their own. But one thing is what we jokingly call lunchtime live. It's an incredibly corny name, but, uh, we basically have a open Google meet room that anyone can join around. Like, I mean, it's open all the time, but the idea is if you go anytime between probably 11 AM or 1 PM, someone will be in there eating lunch. And so you can just kind of chat over lunch. Um, I think it's been good. Although the reality is like, it's kind of the same two or three people all the time. So it's good for those people to bond, but, all the other people who aren't participating aren't really a part of that. We have the same thing with an open office. We just have a Google Meet room that anyone can join anytime. There's very rarely talking in it, but that's how a, a real office is, right? But it's like you can see the other person and they can see you. And maybe what we started doing on the dev team is um, the whole, all of the developers spend one hour Tuesday morning in the open office. And we, we end up just kind of, we've done this twice now. We just, are working and then someone's like, oh, hey, I, I've been meaning to ask. Here's like this technical thing I ran into. Does anyone know how to do do that? Um, so that's been kind of nice, just forcing people to pretend. I, again, that's like an analog for the, the in-person office a little bit. Um, and then the final thing I'll say that we've done is birthday celebrations where we actually haven't had a birthday yet, but uh, the plan is going to be kind of make a digital card. Like people are filling out a Google form with like nice things to say about the person and then someone's compiling it all together into like a, like a scrapbook almost for the person. Yeah. I think one big part of that too, is I'm seeing the reaction when they receive it. So maybe you can have, you can videotape, uh, have them be on a Google meet when they receive it. That's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things like when you, when you, we're all human and humans evolved to kind of have, you know, social interactions with each other. And I feel like, um, there's a lot of stuff that we take for granted. Like I've never, ex what you said is absolutely right there that when showing gratitude or giving someone a gift, 
part of the get the, the benefit is the person giving it, seeing it. And I hadn't even thought about that. Um, yeah, that's yeah. when you see the person like drop their guard and become gracious or surprised or vulnerable. Right. And that's mm-hmm. a big trust m- moment. It's also, it makes it so you're not like filling out the form doesn't feel like a chore because you get some, you know, I don't know if it's dopamine or like whatever, like something triggers in your brain where you're like, it was worth spending five minutes saying something nice about the person. Mm-hmm. So that's one little thing. Uh, the other, I, I was just thinking um, that, uh, what, what, have you guys considered a, like an ask me anything weekly uh, or like, like having going around uh, your 17 employees and sort of rotating on an AMA that hmm. the whole company participates in, but one person is doing the AMA. So that's really interesting. And I, can I tangent for a second and come yeah. back to why I find that so interesting? Yes. One of the big pro I've been trying to examine, like, why is it hard to have natural social interactions remotely, like over a video chat? And I think one of the big problems is, so we're having a one-on-one chat right now. We have video pulled up. The, the audience, the listeners can't see us, but we can see each other. And it's pretty natural. It's not quite as good as us being in person, but it's good enough, right? But if you add a third, a fourth, a fifth person, it gets worse and worse. In person, that's not true. And I think what it really comes down to is like, there's all these subtle social things we all know where like multiple people start talking and then a couple people identify oh, I'm going to back off and let that person keep talking. That's so much harder to do with half a second of lag. And with the the way audio works over computers, it compresses everything where if three people are talking, everyone gets a third of the same volume they were and you can't hear what anyone said. Um, so w- one of the, the questions I have for you here is basically the company lunch, 17 people sitting at, a, at the same table. The reality in person is everybody it breaks off into little sub-conversations it's not like 17 people having the same conversation. How do you do that virtually? And one general category I've thought of is what you just said, which is put structure around it, where it's like everybody knows whose turn it is to talk. So you're still all interacting, but it's not just like this huge chaotic mess of people trying to like read social cues to see whose turn it is. Yeah. So um, I think it's great to acknowledge that uh, when you go to lunch with 17 people, you're not having one conversation with 17 people anyway, even in person. So like the, the trying to replicate that is somewhat hard. Um, the way you could replicate that is say, Hey, everyone in the, in the company is going to have lunch right now together, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but we're going to, we're going to do it independent, uh, you know, in, in smaller groups. And I don't know what those, what's the smallest group virtually that you can have a productive online video conversation with. I've been trying to test this out a little bit because I think all of us have been, you know, having Zoom conversations with our family and that type of thing. And I've been trying to pay attention, like, where does this break down? I feel like my my gut instinct is around five or six is kind of the max before you start being like, this is untenable. So great. You know, pick four, five, six, uh, break into four, five, six person groups um, and have lunch at the same time. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't like unless you normally have structure to your lunch weekly lunch. Yeah, meeting. I, I didn't mean to put structure on that yeah. that part of it. I meant for yeah. other events we'd, yeah. we'd have structure. Yeah. So like, you know, do you have like a core theme that you talk about on your weekly company lunches, or is it just completely organic conversation? Totally organic. Yeah. No announcements. No, 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 nothing like that. Cool. I mean, normally we got something catered, so 
we're always talking about, oh, like this restaurant is great or something about the food, but there's no structure to it. Do you have this uh, food suspended for company lunches right now in terms of budgetary items? Or is that something you're willing to spend money on and do like a, you know, a synchronized DoorDash? I, uh, it's less of a money thing. I'm actually not comfortable with takeout though. Everyone's saying, Oh, there's no risk at all. And I, that's fucking bullshit. Like absolutely <laughs> not. Like well, intuitively, there's no way that that's well, it's, a, it, it, I, I don't feel like there's significantly less or more risk than going to the grocery store and getting food. I, so, I disagree. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I, I wrote a whole thing up. I'm, I told you I'm journaling. I wrote a whole thing up. That's like, here are all the reasons why going to the grocery store is like a totally different thing from getting takeout. I feel like the grocery store is worse than getting takeout. Being in the grocery store is probably worse, yeah, but yeah. like one, you, you get two weeks worth of food, you bring it in, just leave it in the corner for a day and it's safe at that point. Oh boy. Do you take your shoes off outside? No. Oh man. I'm not like, I don't think I'm too paranoid about stuff, but like every, every time you get takeout, it's a single meal that like five people just touched versus <laughs> you go to the grocery store and it's, anyway, I don't know. It's a whole different thing. Yeah. Well, uh, Anyway, uh, <laughs> I I feel like, yeah, just one immediate thing that if I were in your shoes, I would do is try to reinstitute company lunches. You're going to have to figure out how to make sure people all have lunch at the same time, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, do this uh, and just it seems like something you you just rally around testing and yeah, you know, and seeing what happens. Testing's pro- I that's it's certainly been on my mind. Yes, we need to do it. And I've been talking with the person who kind of is probably most likely to organize it about that. And I guess what I probably haven't done enough of is that attitude of like, whatever we do week one is probably not what we're going to do week two. And that gives us permission for it to be a failure or, or not a failure, but like not perfect, which I like. Let me run one thing by you here. Another, I've been trying to examine like natural things that happen socially that we don't pick up on that we don't pay attention to because that might inform how we do things remotely. We talked about how a 17-person lunch isn't one big conversation. It's also not like four or five small conversations. What what naturally happens is the the subgroups shift, and that's one of the ways even people who aren't like perfect friends, like we're all friends, but I'm, I'm a kind of awkward conversationalist. I can't keep up an hour-long conversation with just anybody. Um, I have observed that it's really nice being able to like, oh, they're talking about this show I've never seen. I'm going to transition over to this other group that's talking about this video game that I do play. Maybe there's just nothing to be done about that, but I'm interested in your thoughts there. You know, you're, that's a great observation. Um, in fact, I I knew I was thinking in my head when you were talking before you like got to it that one of the things that we're I knew we were discounting something. This solution's too simple. And yeah, that's exactly right. Like when you're in a group setting, um, you have the ability to weave in and out of conversations, even with like just not even moving your body left, right, behind you, forward, um, and and sort of go in and out of of being uh, present uh, with, with different people. And yeah, I don't know how you replicate that virtually. That'd be difficult. Um, hmm. And maybe you don't. Like again, I think. It- let's say some company has totally figured out remote community relationship stuff. Um, maybe you don't replicate it. Maybe there's this whole other paradigm, but like one might be put more structure behind it where it's like, there's a little game every 10 minutes, a buzzer sounds and like one person rotates out and one person rotates. In. I, I, that might not be it, but 
yeah, it might I be think, something totally. I think different. you could you could try game, you know systematize creating a system to to replicate it, but it's not the same because it's forced versus you, you never get. I, I shouldn't say never. It's unlikely that in the time that you have to worry about this, you're going to solve. You're going to be able to reproduce the natural feeling of of walking in it going in and out of conversations uh, on your own accord, but you mm-hmm. can like m- make mix things up. Um, and I, I definitely worth trying the other, the counter argument to this though, is perhaps forced smaller groups are going to lead to a deeper conversation that hasn't been happening in the past because of the natural tendency to wander yeah. out. Um, and maybe stronger bonds are developed. Yeah, that's, that's certainly possible. Um, I, what I really want to come up with here is, so I've, I've been thinking about a separate set of this, um, Shelly, my girlfriend, fiance person is, uh, a college professor and teaching college classes and they're all remote and they're all trying to figure out how to adapt to it. And I'm like 10 years from now, or not even that long, three years from now, the people who did this best aren't the ones who have done, who have like replaced. They're not people, they're, they're not uh, professors or institutions that have replaced in person with an equivalent remote. It, they're, they're someone who's just totally invented a new model for teaching and like taken this disruption as a, as a challenge. So one way of evaluating, does this do that, is go the other direction. If we do something really, really awesome remotely, could we replicate it in person? I'm not saying that we shouldn't, like, uh, this is a purity test that we don't necessarily have to hold ourselves to, but... The idea you just said may very well be true. If that's true, maybe we should go back to in-person and make that company lunch, right? Everybody eats in groups of five. Um, I, I'm not saying good or bad, anything like that. What I'm, I have my fingers crossed that if you and I and other people think about this long enough, we're going to come up with things where it's like, this is a really, really great thing that you literally could not do in person where being remote is actually an advantage. Yeah, that's. I think we may have just stumbled on one, and I'd be interested to see what you learn from testing this. Because, uh, yeah, I think a lot of times you're in a company lunch where you kind of naturally sit where you want to sit, and there's lots of conversations going on. The level of conversation um, is distract. Like you, you, where you start a conversation when you sit down with someone for the first time over a one-on-one meal compared to what kind type of converse, level of conversation you're having at the end of that. If there's a truly like you know, interest in each other, it's massive. And I, I just wonder how deep you, I mean, I, I I'm very interested in what, what this, but, but I want to come back to what you were saying. I really like your, your point, which was that we're probably going to discover through this, uh, experience that we're all going through new ways to do the same thing that are actually better. Mm-hmm. And it's, going to be a tendency probably for people, myself, yourself included, when we go back to normal to drop the really good things that are happening. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I haven't, it's making me try to think about the things that I've already done. One is running. I've started running more because I can't control the gym being opened. And that's one thing where if the gym comes back, is that really better to go to the gym versus just go run outside? I don't know. I, I, it's, a, it's a very simple example, but uh, personal, but I think this is that, 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 that concept applies to everything in life, not just work, you know, 
work. They're, we're going to develop better ways of doing things across the our our whole life, work included. Yeah. That that we you know we probably will quickly drop when we go back to normal if we're not proactive about it. Yeah, and it's also interesting that this is we almost have permission to experiment in a way that we never will again. Like at work, this is especially true, but also with your personal relationships and stuff like that. You can be like, I'm going to try something else, and you other person have to put up with it because like, what other choice do we have? Whereas in normal life, if we tried to mess with company lunch, people would be like, this was my favorite thing. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like the new, new is scary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I went on a tangent there. What you said originally that started that was a, an AMA. Yeah. And ask me anything. And there's different, it could be that we've talked about potentially doing like a talent show, just something where it's like one person's, really any type of group activity where there's a structure to it and it's understood who's leading things, whose turn is it is is it to talk. That might be a way to have the whole group together without these weird video conferencing like problems that we discussed earlier. Yep. And they could be they could do it asynchronously via Slack, um, like a Reddit type deal, or it could be video, like everyone's popping mm-hmm. in questions in the chat and they're on they're only one on video uh, talking. See, I'm actually really interested in asynchronous video. Um, I I won't be able to share this with you or anyone, but I said I made that guide to remote working, and it has a grid that's like asynchronous. One dimension is synchronous versus asynchronous, and the other is high fidelity versus low fidelity. So high fidelity being like video or in person, low fidelity being like text. There's no high fidelity asynchronous communication right now. I there mean, I guess is. a voicemail sort of. No, there is. It's Snapchat. And, and, oh, and it's what it's what my little brother. So this is what, um, this is what my little brothers and sisters are doing. They yeah. they they literally take a video picture, video of themselves doing nothing, send mm-hmm. it, and the other person sends back a video of themselves doing nothing, and that's their communication. Yeah. So that's interesting. I guess I meant like business tools, yeah. but it, it, I I hadn't pieced together because I actually saw. Oh, I forget what it's called. There was something on Product Hunt the other day. It was it was basically Snapchat for business. They don't frame themselves that way, but it's send video messages, but they're asynchronous. Which is yeah, you're right that that's exactly what Snapchat is. I actually am more. I'm interested in exploring your chart. Can you mm-hmm. describe what you've got in those boxes? Yes. So it's sort of like a curve because once again, for business tools, there's nothing that we use currently that's high fidelity and asynchronous. But so high fidelity real time in person meeting is the most high fidelity. Um equally real time but less fidelity is a video chat. Equally real time but less fidelity is a phone call. Um and then you go to like Slack, which is mostly real time but a little more asynchronous. Like you can send someone a Slack message and they it's best if they're there for a real time conversation, but it's fine if they're not. Um and then like comments in systems, like we use front for email and we comment in there. That's kind of similar to Slack. And then there's totally asynchronous stuff, email being the main one, but Trello comments, Google Docs comments, things like that. So it's kind of, there's three quadrants with stuff. There's high fidelity real time, which is talking to someone, low fidelity real time, which is chatting with someone text-based. And then there's low fidelity asynchronous, which is emailing basically. Cool. Yeah, I like that. So I've been trying to explore this and like, yeah, like when do you, when do you use which one of these and stuff like that? And I I do think you mentioned 
well, you mentioned a lot of stuff, but one thing that I thought of when you were talking uh, before we joked about the funny voice was, um, so s- we've been doing this thing called LACRM Cribs. You know the old MTV Cribs thing? Yeah, yeah, that's great. I sh- I should have mentioned this, but we're since we're all at home, we're doing like little recordings where one person will do it, show give a tour of their home, and then be like, I tag so and so to be the next person. Um, it's it's really low volume because it takes like a week before someone does theirs. But it has been a lot of fun. And maybe I hadn't thought of it in these terms, but that's high fidelity asynchronous. It's I'm going to make a video. You're going to see this peak into my life. It's going to have a ton of personality. And then people go on Slack and respond to it in text in, in low fidelity async. But maybe more like that is part of the answer here. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just seeing a huge business opportunity if someone can figure out asynchronous um, Snapchat-like video communication um, in the workplace. I think that that's a big opportunity, especially for remote cultures. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't, do you follow any remote thought leaders like Basecamp or, uh, the Todoist CEO is really big on this? No, but I, I, I need to. And part of mm-hmm. the reason why I'm interested in this conversation, what do they have to say about this? There's this big overlap between being remote and being asynchronous, which I think is somewhat forced on people because a lot, if you're a remote company, the main benefit you get from that is that you can hire talent from anywhere in the world. Um, and in some cases, depending on how you do it, you can pay a lot less because if, if you hire someone, you know, in India or Eastern Europe or something like that, you they, they don't need as much money to have a really good quality of life. So these remote companies have workforces distributed across the whole world. And they're like, we have to be asynchronous because we're not all awake at the same time. But even companies that are remote and not very distributed still have adopted this async thing that everything should be asynchronous? Well, I don't think every, not everything, right? Like most things. I mean, even most if you look, things, if yeah. you look at your co-location effort in my, I, I look at my work day when I'm in an office, a lot of stuff is happening secretly in today's right. world, whether you're remote or not. I guess I don't understand the point. Well, I'm trying, th- th- there's a, a correlation between the remote crowd and people pushing more. You're right that stuff's async no matter what, but like more and more of it. So in this document I've been working on, one of the things I'm trying to push is like more stuff should be asynchronous. For example, don't show up at a meeting, introduce a topic, and then talk about it. Email everybody in advance everything they need to familiarize themselves with the topic. And then everyone can start, like have a running start when the meeting starts and you can, everyone can have their opinions formed and like you're not just there's a lot of stuff happening before the meeting and then the meeting's the good stuff, right? Yeah. I wouldn't, I would say that that's true for in-person meetings too. So like, I know that's, that's my whole point here. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. That's my whole point. But like that, um, maybe there, maybe there's a movement, whether it's remote or not to move everything, move a lot more stuff asynchronous. And that's one lens we can look at this through is like, what is currently being done real time that doesn't need to be real time. And that, that would tell I've you that would tell you, that that would probably tell you what you need to focus on as a remote leader to build the tra- the relationships. Yeah. Relationships it's very difficult to form relationships asynchronously, I believe. But if you had high fidelity asynchronous communication, it does seem that you could develop a strong relationship there. And if if not for like pin pals, like the whole idea of like having mm-hmm. a pin pal like informing a relationship over reddit for example like that happens so it doesn't yeah. it's, it's it, it really what is actually necessary to happen in in real time i don't know what those things are what are those things 
Well, hang on. But before addressing that real quick, the pen pals issue is really interesting. Like one of the values there is just that this person is assigned to you. Like mm. there's 7 billion people in the world. You're not, if you're just like, oh yeah, become friends with someone remotely, you don't become friends with anyone. But if you're like, here's your pen pal, it almost doesn't matter who they are. You'll form a relationship with them. I wonder if something like that could be created internally. Just be like, you know what? We're going to totally force this. You know, person A and person B, it's you two right now. Yeah. For the next month, like, I, I don't, I mean, that's not a fully formed idea. But anyway, there may, may be something there. Yeah, monthly. Yeah, there's a, you're, what you're doing is you're programming and gamifying the relationship development. And again, this is, I think all these examples are things that you're forced to do remote, but probably things that you could be doing in person. Like mm-hmm. a company that would further, re- you know, more efficiently reach the goal of having strong and personal relationships. What interesting, what's interesting, it does sort of happen in person unintentionally based on schedule. Like some people choose their schedule, but on the cu- customer service team, Michael, the manager, sets everyone's schedule. And if two people are eating lunch at 11 a.m., they're much, much more likely to kind of form a relationship because they're sitting across the table from each other, right? Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, more likely, um, but not... There's a difference between like a side effect of something being yeah. the reason that develop, personal relationships are developing and the reason something happening being to form personal relationships. And what we're really talking about is you know, a lot of things that happen in a co-location, co-located environment, they accidentally happen. It's a side effect. Um when it comes to personal development and what we're ta- what we're really what remote forces you to think about is how do you intentionally uh, how do you f- create opportunities for people to form those personal relationships intentionally yeah hmm. so what what about um there's one more thing I wanted to t- share I can't remember what it was are you guys doing any any games um, gaming I feel like is something that is it's fun in person, but like you can have a lot of fun virtually. I just think about my Xbox Live days. I mean, mm. you you witnessed these. Um, yeah, I had a lot intense. of fun. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of fun on those games. And there's one guy like um, my name was da, da Rick. That was my gamer tag. His name was Da Trees. We met one day and we played for years. In fact. I, I'm friends with him on LinkedIn and Facebook now. He's a quality assurance engineer in Texas. I, I'm just saying, like killing people in Call of Duty together <laughs> can can help form personal relationships. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Have, have you ever played Jackbox games? What are Jackbox? Are you talking about the restaurant? Uh, no, it's it's called Jackbox, not Jack in the Box. Jackbox. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it's games that I don't think they were originally meant to be played remotely. They're meant to be played like a group of people sitting around a TV and the way it works, there's a bunch of different games, but there's something up on the TV that everyone sees and then everyone's on their phone. And so it'll be like one person's a spy and they're answering different questions than everyone else, but nobody knows. And then it puts everyone's answer up on the TV and everyone guesses or there's different variations on it. It's a fun like party game. I have done this with family, not family, but like a group of friends since this started and we can't see each other. We did it over a zoom call and it actually works pretty well. I like that. Um, what it really, yeah. what's making me think of is how do you like a lot of the things that you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, uh, the topic discussion were shared experiences. And so how do you create shared experiences that can then be reasons uh, to spark, f- you know, one-on-one conversations and that go deeper 
later in the week um, or later in the month. And so, yeah, if you can, I think thinking about this in terms of shared experiences, digitally shared, digital shared experiences, I think, um, and just testing weekly on different things until you crack something um, is the solution. Yeah, that's awesome. And what I like here is how constrained it is. Like, what can you experience from your apartment that someone else can experience at the same time? So you can both stream the same video and watch it and talk about it. You can play a game. You can... We'd, we'd have to brainstorm some more, but yeah, like the, the, there's not a ton of stuff you can do. You can drink a beer. Good. You can drink a beer at the same time and have a conversation. Mm-hmm. You can. Share and we are coffee. doing a happy hour on Friday, which we haven't done yet, but uh, we'll see how that one goes. But yeah, that's very true. Interesting. A book club. My mom had a uh, virtual book club since this all started. Yep. Anything people gather around and like talk about something really, but like they have a topic to talk about, I think helps. Totally. Totally. Okay. Awesome. Um, well, I, as expected, I think we, we haven't like totally cracked this, but there are, there are a lot of ideas there. And in particular, I think we moved the ball forward on like the framework to think about this, right? Like, first of all, we can come up with not just analogs for what we're doing in real life, but what's actually made available remotely that you can't do in person. And hopefully if some of these work, let's pr- bring these back to in person as much as we can and actually change culture after this is over. That is the single biggest takeaway for me is uh, is to be hyper aware of the good things that are happening as a result of working remotely and defending those when things go back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, and then also like man, innovation. One great way to create spark innovation is to create massive constraints on the status quo and explore different types of constraints and see what happens. Um, I've never seen an application, thought of an application of Snapchat to work, but for constraining to remote in the concept of asynchronous communication. If you constrain yourself to asynchronous communication at work, now you need a high fidelity m- medium. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I we don't have that right now. Yeah. Yeah. There's my little graphic. I'm sorry, no one can see it, but there's this big empty hole in the bottom mm-hmm. left of it. And that does kind of look like opportunity. Yeah, put Snapchat yeah. in there if they can figure it out. Put Zoom in there. Maybe Zoom's the per- the company to figure this out. But what, what, where would it happen? It would probably happen inside Slack. Right. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm excited yeah. about this to see like why have why hasn't this been done? Right. But yeah, you're right that maybe we don't even need tools. It's really like record a video of yourself, put it in Slack. It's just a matter of internal culture of saying what's the video, what's the impetus for do- like how do we get people to actually do that basically. Yep. Cool. Right. Well, this is uh, this is interesting. Thanks for talking through this with me. Um, I, I have a feeling that in the coming weeks, I may bring up another similar topic, whether it's on, onboarding interns or maybe I'll dive deeper into a specific part of this, because I think this is there's a lot of room to explore this more. Totally. And, and as I get further along with Leg Up Health, remote's going to become more and more of a, a topic. So, um, all right, everyone, thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. I'll see you next week. See you.